If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week, you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. I'm going to tell my story because I have never felt such sheer terror in my life. I'm tearing up just typing this out. So when I was in college, I used to go on runs at night in the Coral Gables area of Miami. One night just before my run, My friend invited me to go out with her and some other friends. This was around 9 PM or so. She wanted to come to my place to get ready beforehand. So I told her I'd leave the back door unlocked and she could just let herself in while I went on a quick run. Anyways, I started my run. If you're familiar with the Gables area, you know that a lot of the neighborhood areas have either no street lights or they are sparsely spread out. Well, in my little housing community, There were also many streets that had extremely old trees that formed arches over entire streets, creating beautiful colorful tunnels of green and bright flowers in the daytime. But at night, they block out any moonlight there could be, making the streets completely black. So I went down a street maybe half a mile away from my house that I always went down. It happened to be one with no street lights or visible sky so it was always pretty dark. It never particularly bothered me though because the lights from the houses always provided enough light for me to get by. Except for that night. I really can't explain it. As soon as I turned down the street I felt something deeply wrong because not a single house was lit. I tried to move past the feeling and consider the possibility of a power outage, as it was Miami and we had just had a storm earlier that day. 
Because it was so dark, I took out my headphones in hopes my hearing would heighten in the absence of my vision. I couldn't hear a damn thing. Not a single noise. It was incredibly unnerving. Miami was always filled with chirping bugs and frogs and all kinds of creatures but there was total silence. That bad feeling came back and I couldn't really brush it away this time. I started to slow down until my run turned into a walk and my walk into a complete stop. I stopped and tried to listen for any noise or see any hint of light but it was just so damn dark. Just as I started to wonder if there was some kind of important evacuation I missed, trying to come up with some rational explanation for this, my phone lights up the blackness with a text from my friend saying she had made it to my house. After seeing how brightly my phone illuminated the street, I took it off my armband and moved it around in front of me to light my surroundings. Goddamn I wish I wouldn't have. As I moved the phone from the right side of the street to the left, I noticed something in the upstairs window of the house to my left. At first I thought it was my paranoia getting the better of me but immediately felt intense dread and complete terror. Standing in the second story window, no more than 10 yards from me, was an extremely pale girl with long black hair standing in front of white lace curtains. I yelped slash gasped and did a double take only to confirm that I had seen what I did. She moved her hand to the window and her face was completely expressionless. Staring at me. I've never run so fast in my life. God typing this out, I still remember exactly what her pale face looked like and it's giving me anxiety. I ran so fast. I was about a half mile from my house but I swear it took me 30 seconds to get home. At which point, I burst open the front door, locked it behind me, ran to the back door, locked it behind me, ran to my room, locked it behind me. My friend had been sitting in my room doing her makeup and she was so freaked out. I collapsed onto the floor and started crying and I was sweating and shaking violently. I think at this point she was assuming I had just been assaulted or something but I've just never felt fear like that before. I explained the situation as best I could in between gasps and I could tell she thought I was being way overdramatic about it. But I seriously didn't care. I was way too terrified. She tried to rationalize it. Saying there might have been a mannequin or something. Or it was just a girl who woke up or something like that. But it all just felt so wrong. I can't explain it other than just a really unnatural feeling. I finally calmed down and just grabbed all my shit to go over to her place. I wanted to put miles between myself and that girl. The next day, after expressing my fear to my boyfriend, I convinced him to drive me to the house so I could see it in the daytime. Either to confirm what I saw again or to convince myself that I went temporarily insane or something. As we drive up to the house, I notice a for sale sign in front that I hadn't noticed before because it was tucked behind some plants by the curb. The front of the house was completely overgrown with vines, the grass was dead and the plant life was just out of control. It wouldn't have even been possible for a car to pull into the driveway. It made me even more confused and frightened. It was then that I noticed a foreclosure notice on the front door. The house had been foreclosed on months ago. I started crying and just wanted to get the hell away from there. I still don't understand what the F happened that night. But I don't even know if I'd want to know. The best I could reason is that a family was squatting in the house. But it just doesn't explain the darkness of the street and that feeling I had. That feeling. Like I wasn't alone. This is a strange one. A little over a year ago, back in 2018, in the Grand Teton National Park, I had an encounter with a creature that I simply cannot identify. I have searched and scoured online and have not found anything that resembles the being that I saw. I try not to speak of this often, as I fear I will be thought of as a loon. During the summer of 2018, I was working for the National Park Service in the Grand Teton National Park specifically in the Inner Lakes District. This was my first year in the position, and I was assigned to work at a campground on Blacktail Butte, just outside the main park. I was busy closing the campground, with two other co-workers alongside me. 
As I was counting the money from the evening before, I heard a very distinct but strange, unmistakable howl coming from the west of the campground. The sound seemed to be coming from the base of the mountain. The campground was located at the base of Blacktail Butte, a small mountain just on the outskirts of the park. From my location, I could see that the sound was coming from the direction of the mountain. There were three other campgrounds located near the mountain, so I could observe all the other campers and employees in the area. For the most part, there were no campers with their dogs in their campsites, so that possibility was checked off. Nor were there any visible dogs in the area. I was trying to determine what this howl was, or if maybe there was a wolf. But the howl was unlike that of a coyote or a wolf. It was very different, difficult to describe. It was similar to the recording of Bigfoot calls that you can hear online. Off the top of my head, I want to say there are the Ohio calls you can look up. I'm sure it's on YouTube, as is everything nowadays. I continued to listen, and as I did, all the other rangers in the area seemed to listen as well. I began asking my co-workers if they had heard the sound, but apparently, nobody had heard it from their location. I felt silly, so I kept my mouth shut. After a few moments, I heard another howl, similar but not exactly the same, coming from the same location. I have never heard a coyote or a wolf make a sound like this. It's hard to describe, really. It was then that I realized that none of the other rangers were acknowledging the sounds. They acted strange, nervous, and quick-eyed. It felt as though they had heard it but were choosing not to say anything. What did they know that I did not? Just as I was almost ready to pack up and leave, I heard a co-worker on the radio. He was calling for a minute. As I was leaving, I could see a person walking in the area of the howls. They were staying in the tree line but moving steadily up the mountain. I got closer and asked my co-worker if he had seen anybody in the area. He told me that he, too, had been walking around and patrolling the area. I informed him of the sounds I had heard. I wasn't sure what they were, but they were coming from the back part of the campground. He got nervous almost instantly, the second I brought it up. He got close to me and whispered in my ear that he's pretty sure he saw a tall, dark figure moving around on the back section of the park. He said he didn't get a good look at them and claimed he did not want to. He felt an immediate sense of danger and fear. As he spoke to me, I could tell from his voice and body language that he was genuinely concerned. I drove a little bit further, trying to see what it was that he saw. He had told me it was on the back section of the park, and that's exactly where I went. After a while, I'm pretty sure I saw what he saw because what I saw was approximately 7 feet tall and had the same dark color. I tried to get a better look at it, but I could tell it was right near the edge of the tree line. It had already moved into the tree line, coming from a large meadow. I even told my other rangers about it, but they would not speak to me about it. In fact, one told me to stop talking about it if I knew what was good for me. This particular ranger has not spoken to me since and refuses to. After I saw this thing enter the tree line, I decided not to follow it. Another thing to keep in mind is that it was pouring down rain during this time, and even then, the ground was hard. There should have been tracks. I went back later to look, but I did not find any, especially in the wet portion of the grass where I saw this thing enter the tree line. It was very strange how I did not find any tracks at all, be it boot prints or animal tracks. After returning to the office, I kept hearing the howls again, almost all night. This time, there were multiples, one coming from the north end of the campground and the other from the east. My belief is that there were two of these creatures communicating back and forth with each other. So now, if I ever hear or experience anything strange, I don't really talk about it with my colleagues. For whatever reason, they seem hell-bent on keeping everything a big secret or conspiracy. I'm not really sure why, but they refuse to talk about it. Perhaps the refusal to acknowledge the existence of these creatures helps them cope with day-to-day -day life. But for me, I'm trying to get to the bottom of it. Lastly, I would like to assure you that what I saw was simply not a person. Nor was it a person in a costume, 
because what I saw could not be explained as such. The proportions were so off and distorted that it would not make sense. The movement alone was different. I also apologize in advance for not having the most descriptive story and account, but you get what you get. Thank you greatly for taking the time to listen to my story. This incident took place when I was in about 6th grade. I'm from Ohio, closer to Kentucky, and we lived in a rural area very far away from people. Our only neighbors were the two houses on the sides of us, we lived in the middle house. I was really bored one day and decided to walk through the cow pasture behind my house and into the woods. I began walking and hopped the fence leading into the woods, just exploring for a good hour or so. I didn't stray far, but far enough that I couldn't see my house. As I walked, I got the sense of being watched. That's when I noticed an extremely large buck, bigger than what I'm used to seeing. The antlers were wider than its actual body and seemed sharper than they should have been. It was standing about 20 or so feet away, kind of hidden in the tree line. It was standing at an angle, and it seemed freakishly tall for a deer. The back legs were bent weirdly, and I couldn't see the front hooves. I thought it might be territorial, so I started to back away slowly, not making eye contact. Eventually, I moved out of its line of sight and started heading home. I remember it following me, but still at a distance. There was a noticeable rotting smell, which seemed stronger the closer I got to the deer. As I made my way out of the forest and into the cow pasture, I looked back, and it was standing on the edge of the forest line. It seemed weird, but I shrugged it off. Later that night, around 2 to 4 am, I heard banging outside my window. My window was about 10-ish feet off the ground and faced the back of the house towards the cow pasture. I sat up in my bed, which was pressed up against the window, and peeked out. To my horror, I saw the deer scratching and tapping its antlers against the wall of the house. I tried to shoo it away by making noise, but this caused it to look up and stare at me with its piercing, empty eye sockets. Then it slammed its head harder into the wall before standing up on its back legs and stretching. It began pounding and clawing at the wall, slamming into my window, causing the glass to crack. I let out a blood-curdling scream, which seemed to anger it. My stepdad came running into my room, ready to scream at me, but then he saw the deer trying to climb its way into my window. It was letting out grunts as it clawed at the wall, and its antlers broke through the glass. I fell out of my bed as my stepdad ran to grab his shotgun, firing off rounds into the creature's head. As he did this, the creature wailed like a human, almost letting out angry screams, before falling back out of the window and crashing to the grass. My stepdad kept firing at it as it continued to wail, before it ran back into the woods in a manner resembling that of a human. Months after this incident, I was living with my grandparents when we received a call that my stepdad had died in an ATV accident that day. What they failed to mention was the fact that the ATV wasn't what killed him. When he initially crashed, he was paralyzed and unable to move, but he was still alive. What happened next was gruesome, he was eaten alive. Half his face, chest muscles, and arm were gone, and they assumed it was wild animals but the only tracks they found were deer hoof prints. To this day, I don't know what it was. I was told to never talk about it, but now that I live in a city, I wanted answers. So, what do you think? Pisca National Forest is a place where this happened. Being a park ranger in this breathtaking wilderness was a dream come true for me, I'm Emily, a diligent and dedicated protector of nature. I love this job, wildlife and clean air that cannot be found elsewhere. Anyway, one day I had received reports of unruly visitors, led by a notorious troublemaker named Jake. Causing havoc and disregarding the park's rules. It was my duty to confront them and ensure the safety of the wildlife they were threatening. They basically scared animals and threw rocks at them. So, I approached the group, making my presence known. Excuse me, I called out, 
trying to maintain my composure. You are violating park regulations, and I'll have to ask you to stop. Jake, a smug smirk on his face, turned to face me. Oh, look who it is, he sneered. The park ranger with no power. What are you gonna do, write us a ticket? I took a deep breath, trying to keep my temper in check. If you continue this behavior, I will have no choice but to remove you from the park. Respect the rules and the wildlife or face the consequences. Laughter erupted from Jake's group as they mocked my authority. With a defiant whoop, they sprinted into the depths of the woods, disappearing from sight. I shook my head in frustration, knowing I couldn't let them get away with their reckless actions. So the next day, a chilling phone call shattered the tranquility of my morning. A murder had occurred within the National Forest, and it was in the same area where Jake and his friends had fled. Arriving at the crime scene, a shiver ran down my spine. The sight before me was like one in slasher horror movies. The bodies of Jake and his friends lay sprawled across the forest floor, lifeless and mangled. Horror washed over me as I examined the claw marks deeply etched into their flesh. These marks were like nothing I had ever seen before, resembling the powerful imprints of an enormous bird of prey, but larger, much larger. As I stood there, a chilling realization began to take shape in my mind. Could it be possible that they had fallen victim to a cryptid? A creature akin to the Bigfoot or the terrifying Dogman? The thought sent shivers down my spine. We waited for police to come, and as we were waiting, I analyzed bodies. Those marks were too deep to be of animal or human origin. This was something else. Also, one thing was also suspicious to me. Instead of police, five men in black came and threatened us to leave the crime scene and not spoke of the murders again. Why? I wonder. I saw a Sasquatch in 2003 cross the Foothills Parkway outside of Maryville, Tennessee. It was huge. The smell it left was a cross of skunk, dead carcass, and swamp mud. It had to be nine feet tall, with shoulders as wide as four feet. Stringy hair but you could see the muscles underneath flex as it moved. Its thighs were round as a tree trunk. Hardly a neck to it and a cone-type head. Long arms. I would describe it as a half-gorilla and half-Neanderthal man-type animal. I never gave a second thought to a Bigfoot, Sasquatch, or whatever until then. I do not care to see another ever again in person. People are stupid trying to track these animals down. I was off-duty when this happened, but I was also in my uniform still and in a police car. I was driving to the gym, and I get a call from dispatch saying there was an officer down at the local high school, where a kid had been stabbed by another student. This made me drive faster since any school violence is extremely dangerous for anybody involved. Even though I'm off shift, I feel like it's my personal duty to attend. As I'm pulling into the parking lot, which is adjacent to the football field, I see a massive black figure running along the fence line about 15 feet off the ground. I had to do a double take. It looked like two legs, but then there were four. It looked almost human but too big. Its arms were outstretched, as if trying to climb or something, or just stretch out. It then leapt from one side of the fence to the other effortlessly, which made no sense. It was easily 10 to 15 feet in the air. It then ran over to the top of the car, and I have no idea what or who this thing was, but it let out this strange guttural yell that made my skin crawl. I can write all of this up in my report when I get back, but I don't think they'll believe me. I figured I would submit this anyway because it's been too long, and I still remember this thing vividly. I'm a cop. My zone partner and I park our patrol vehicles at the bottom of a long dirt road that leads to an abandoned school. We only do this on night shift when it starts to get slow around 1am. It's a relatively safe place for us to catch up on paperwork or watch some YouTube. We have had several odd experiences there, 
from strange lights that maneuver quickly in the woods, to possible UFO sightings. We even found a body down there years ago that still has not been identified. But that's not even the most terrifying. This was around October of 2022 p.m. It was a dead night, crime was low that time of year partly because of sea and partly because it was cold. We had parked our vehicles side by side, facing opposite directions so that the driver's side windows line up. This is common as our line of work. My partner gets dispatched to a noise complaint and leaves. I use this time to step out or relieve my bladder. As I'm standing outside I hear a whistle in the woods that are across the abandoned school grounds. These woods are roughly 100 yards from where I am parked. The whistle was a tune, like it came from a human mouth, and it was oddly loud. We do have a homeless problem in my city, but not in the area I patrol. But, I assume a homeless person must have wandered their way to the south side of the city. I get back in my car and roll my window up, anxiously awaiting my partner's return. My partner returns after about 20 minutes. I tell him the story and we move on to other topics. I'm a believer in the paranormal, but he is a skeptic. Within about 30 minutes, he decides that he needs to pee. So he steps out and walks to the rear of his patrol car. He's back there for roughly 5 seconds. And boom, we hear it again. A loud whistle to the tune of a slow song. The whistle lasts for maybe 10 seconds. He walks back to my window and his face is a pale milky white. So, as cops do, we decided to investigate. We grab our flashlights and start walking slowly through the field. That grass is up to our waist. We get to about halfway in the field when we hear it again, but this time it sounds like it's coming from our right side, where the school is. As we are standing there with our flashlights shining on the school, we begin to see the grass start to move. There is no wind, the grass is not moving around us. It looks like something is crawling in the field. The grass is moving slow, in a straight path towards us. We begin walking towards the movement. At this point we both have our hands on our firearms. The air is eerily still, and you could see our breath from the cold. I can tell that my partner is uneasy. We are walking very slow and quiet. As we get about 20 feet away from the moving grass, it stops. And we hear the whistle. Coming from exactly where our flashlights are shining on the now still grass. Now we are frozen in fear, we are too scared to speak to each other. It feels like minutes pass but was probably only a few seconds. I go to take a step forward and all of a sudden the grass starts to move again. This time away from us towards the wood line. Only this time it's fast, too fast for us to run after. So we just stand and watch. We watch as though the moving grass reaches the woods. We both have our lights focused on it. And again, the whistle. Coming from the woods where the grass just stopped moving. Only this time, the whistle is quiet. This is the part that shocks us. We are now shining our lights into the woods, there are several large trees in our view. This thing stands up. It looked like a child. But not? It's hard to explain. Despite our lights shining directly onto the figure it seemed amassed in darkness. Before we could even call out, it stepped behind a tree and was gone. We gathered up the courage to go after it. As we get to the tree, there is nothing. No footprints, no leaves crunching like you would expect to hear in autumn. It was like it vanished into nothing. We spent the next hour checking reports for missing children in the area, and we could find nothing. The creepiest part is that it must have been running on all fours when it was in the grass. We have a children's psychiatric hospital in the city but they had no reports of escapees. To this day we cannot explain it. And to this day we continue to park there. Three years have passed and we never had another experience like that. But my partner is now a believer. And everyone at the department thinks we are crazy. During my ongoing research into the many Bigfoot encounters that have occurred in the Tawny County, Missouri area over the years, I posted a request for information on the timeline of a local Facebook group. 
I was seeking information on booger place names and received a message from Darla concerning booger knob near Rockaway Beach. I saw something a few years ago but I couldn't really explain what it was and my ex-husband couldn't either. It definitely wasn't any kind of animal either of us had ever seen but when we stopped and turned around it was gone. Just took it as something we couldn't explain and never really thought too much about it. It was probably about 8 feet tall, kind of dark grey with a little brown. Had a mane kind of like a male lion but shorter hair around the body and legs. Was walking upright on its back legs but once we got close to our car it got on all fours and took off extremely fast. We slowed down, stopped to turn around immediately, and drove back and forth a few times, trying to see what it was, but it was completely gone or hiding. Never saw it again. I'm not saying what I saw was Bigfoot but I know I'm not crazy. My ex and I both saw something neither of us had ever seen before in our lives. I can't explain it. I spent a lot of time in the woods and that was definitely a first. My uncle usually hosts winter parties at his house every year. One year, his basement was flooded, so we had no choice but to hold the party somewhere else. It was held at a nearby lodge. On the side of the lodge was a road, and across the road was a small section of trees with a pond in it. An hour or two before the party ended, my cousin and I were outside near that road. We heard a noise coming from the trees, which sounded like something stomping in the pond. Note that when I say stomping, I really do mean stomping. Not just some animal swimming around in there. Like something was deliberately and forcefully doing God knows what in that pond. My cousin and I went inside and told our other cousin, and the three of us went back out. Being teenagers and all, we decide hey, let's throw rocks. So that's essentially what we do. A few rocks in, another rock lands in front of us. Whatever was in there threw a rock back. We all went back in and told our other cousin, our older and more smart cousin, who decided hey, let's go over there. We start heading over to the trees, and pretty much as soon as the older cousin sets foot on the grass, the stomping gets faster and louder, as if whatever it was was running at us. We all ran back into the lodge and stayed inside for the rest of the night. True, this could have been a person, but it just doesn't make sense. What were they doing in there that late? What were they doing in there at all? I still think about what it could have been. It doesn't help that my cousins don't even remember. Our incident took place in January 2017. We had just moved to Santa Fe, New Mexico. My wife and I were newlyweds from a small community in the Midwest. Being naive and new to living in the city, I would answer the door without giving it a second thought. Never again. There were several loud knocks at 6 o'clock in the morning, which was unusual, and it should have dawned on me to be cautious. My wife and I had been getting ready for work, a pretty regular routine. The moment I opened the door, I was feeling a strange rush of fear and foreboding. There stood a teenage boy, of average height and build with a black leather coat, black hair, and sunglasses. The sunglasses at 6 a.m. struck me as odd. Then I noticed he was eating a pear. He simply asked if he could come in and warm up. I said, sorry, but no. I closed the door and slid the security chain into place. A few minutes later, another knock. I opened the now chain door, and before I could speak he asked again if he could come in and warm up. I replied no, and attempted to close the door. Before the door could shut, he put his hand out and abruptly stopped the door, as if he had no issue with getting his fingers smashed against the frame. He looked at me, still wearing his sunglasses, and said, can I at least get something to wipe my hands? I said get the hell out of here. My wife is calling the police. He smiles, lowers his glasses, revealing eyes as black and shiny as obsidian, and says, no. You won't be calling anybody. At that moment I force the door closed, lock it, and call out to my wife. She was totally freaked out by this time while hiding in the bedroom. I ripped the curtains back to look out the window next to the door. 
He's gone. Absolutely no trace of him. I go out on the patio and check the gate, it's still latched from the inside. I look up and down the street. Nothing. Then I look down. There is a half-eaten pear lying on the sidewalk. Driving one night I went down the country road my aunt lived on at the time. She had llamas and even though they were off to the side and it was nighttime I could still see them well enough with the glow of the headlights illuminating to the sides. I could see their fur, the colors and patterns. Right then I noticed in front of my car was a very tall solid black figure, slim with long arms, and its eyes reflected the headlights. If I could see the fur of the llamas without direct light on them, I definitely know with this thing right in front of me that it had no texture. Just solid black except those eyes. It walked off the road into the woods. We live outside of Houston, Texas. My wife and I were at home and in our backyard. It was a beautiful cloudy day on 10-21-2021. I first noticed one cloud stop while the rest moved on. I asked my wife to watch it as well. We noticed a swirl in the cloud until it opened. I'm not sure if it was a portal but it grabbed my attention. Three figures flew out of the opening and then transformed into human form. They were light-skinned with long hair with fitted outfits that resembled the villainous characters from Superman 2. They hovered in front of the portal area as if to be checking something. We noticed the windows of the craft which caused us to also notice the doorway of the ship open. We then observed the other beings in the background of the doorway as if they were riding on a train or subway. We saw two of the human-like figures go back inside and walk down a stairway into the inside and fade away as they went down the stairs. The remaining figure began to look at us. We felt the intuition of knowing that they were intentionally showing themselves to us for whatever reason. The last figure flew inside the portal and entered the craft's doorway. He touched the open part of the portal and swiped it with his hand and the portal began to close as if automated. The cloud begins to swirl. It then faded away and simply vanished. We remained in the yard and were discussing what we had witnessed. About an hour later, as we were sitting on our patio, a black SUV pulled into our driveway. Two men dressed in all black clothing and sunglasses got out of the SUV and walked toward us. The lead man didn't greet us but immediately asked if we had reported what we had witnessed in the sky. We were shocked. We responded that we had not reported the event. I then asked them who they were. They didn't answer. They both turned and got back into the SUV and pulled away. That was the last time either of us have seen them. I will mention that the man spoke in a monotone voice that was somewhat high-pitched in tone. Their skin color was weirdly opaque as well. In fact, the two men looked like they could have been twins. I still have no explanation. Do you believe that these were what people refer to as men in black? Something pretty crazy happened to my best friend and I about six years ago. It was the summer after we graduated high school, so we were in that transition phase between high school and college. No responsibilities. No worries. We played a shit ton of video games during the day took spur-of-the-moment road trips to a bunch of places, and often stayed up all hours of the night. Late one particular night, we were driving around in my friend's dad's old Volvo, and we stumbled upon the entrance to a nearby canyon we had never heard of or been to. By this time, it was about 3 in the morning, but we were curious. So we start heading up the road. We were in high spirits. Music loud. Cracking jokes in weird accents the usual. But down the road, we see this sign. It was one of those cement road barriers. There was a number of them parallel to the road, but this one was placed perpendicular, and it said, no camping in X Canyon, in red spray paint. My friend and I looked at each other. We thought that was a little weird. With most of the nearby canyons, whichever government entity that maintains them has official metal or wood signs erected but it wasn't anything too out of the ordinary, so we shrugged it off and kept going. 
At the base of the canyon, it was mostly meadows with low bushes, but further in, it became much more wooded. The scrub oak had grown tall over the road, creating a sort of tunnel. It was beginning to feel a little eerie and claustrophobic, but we weren't the skittish type. We both acknowledged the creep factor of the canyon and kept driving. Then, another sign. This time it's plywood nailed to a tree. Said the same thing. No camping. Red spray paint. Again, we're thinking what the hell is with this place? So now we're both fairly sketched out. But we didn't really know why. Yes, the makeshift signs were odd, but maybe whoever maintained the canyon just hadn't gotten the official signs put up yet. Yes, the forest had a spooky vibe, but don't all forests feel like that at night? So again, we kept going. But the further in we went, the less we talked, until we both didn't really say anything. Then it happened. Up ahead, through the scraggly tree branches, we see this light. A campfire. We slow down. My friend asks me what time it is, so I check my watch. 3.45 am. You know that oh shit. Feeling of deep, intense dread? Instantaneously, we both have it. I say we need to turn around, but the canyon road is too narrow, so my friend just starts saying shit over and over as he drives forward. Looking back, I'm not sure why we didn't just floor it driving past the fire, but I think despite the fear, we both had to know what was going on. So we drive up pretty slow, going maybe 10 to 15 miles per hour. The first thing that came into view was a bunch of cars parked in this clearing, just at the edge of the firelight. Then in the middle of the clearing, we see the campfire. And a group of 7 to 8 figures standing around it in a loose circle. They weren't wearing anything strange. They didn't seem to have any weapons. There didn't seem to be anything other than wood burning in the fire. But there were no tents. No camping chairs. And every single one of them were frozen in place, staring at us as we passed. The second we get beyond view, my friend and I lost our marbles. I screamed at him to floor it, so he hit the gas until we came to a turnout just a little down the road where my buddy made a miraculous U-turn. However, I do vaguely remember almost careening off a cliff. At any rate, we came flying back down the road, and again, we see the fire coming up quick. Keep in mind, it's only been a minute, maybe a minute and a half, since we first drove past. The clearing came into view, and I shit you not, everyone is gone. The cars are still there. The fire is still there. But every single one of the figures is just straight up gone. We didn't call the police or even really talk about it much after that until, several weeks later, we decided to go back in the daytime, just to see what was there. But when we got to the bottom of the canyon, those same cement barriers were now placed across the road, blocking the entrance. The one with red spray paint was conspicuously missing. Posted on one of the barriers was a metal sign that read, X Canyon closed due to ongoing police investigation. I would like to state that although I do believe people experience alien abductions on a regular basis, I don't think I fall into that category. However, I do suffer from various sleep conditions, such as insomnia and night terrors and I've had a few experiences that certainly fall into the attempted abduction category even though I don't believe it's happening to me. But you're welcome to judge for yourself if you like. A few months into a new relationship, I woke up to find a huge 7 foot tall, at least, reptilian being with horns grabbing me by the wrist and trying to pull me out of bed. This is what I saw, as in I was asleep at the time, in the middle of sleep paralysis, very aware that this was happening but not being able to do anything about it, so I struggled to fight off the thing and break out of the sleep paralysis episode. To my sleeping boyfriend, now husband, he thought I was stirring in my sleep, so he moved so I could get up and I punched him full in the face. Of course once that happened I snapped out of it and was hugely embarrassed by what had happened but he was thankfully okay about it. On another occasion, I woke up in my room in the middle of an sleep paralysis episode unable to move, very aware that there were two greys in my room. 
one next to my bed, one at the head of my bed. I mentally thought OMG, there are greys in my room. They began to disappear through the wall and the floor and almost instantly the sleep paralysis lifted. Since that moment I have slept with the TV on or some sort of light source, I'm 36 years old, if I happen to be on my own for whatever reason. It seems to stop the episodes, strangely enough. I've also experienced missing time. I used to work in a convenience store and the route from my house to the store involved a short walk to the end of my road, crossing another road and circling a block of shops. In all around a 10 minute walk if I take it slow. So, one morning after a particularly nasty bout of insomnia, I left my house at a quarter to 6 in the morning for my 6am start. I walk down my road and begin crossing the other road when my manager calls me on my phone. Where are you? It's 20 past 7. I've had to open on my own. Somehow that little 5 minute walk to the end of my road had taken me nearly an hour and a half and I have no explanation as to why. There hadn't been a time change due, here in England we go forward back an hour twice a year, and even if there had, smartphones, etc. Change automatically. I don't recall anything about the morning walk, apart from feeling like I was waxing through treacle because I was so tired. I grew up on a street that opened up to a huge canyon or national park that had a train track running through the middle of it. My cousins and I would walk down it all the time when we were younger and explore. It had a very very minor homeless problem in which men would live down there and walk up through the neighborhoods, cops were called and for the most part it was pretty empty. When I was 13 I decided to walk my dog on my own down in the canyon. We had done it before and I thought nothing of it. As we get down to the trail we begin walking and after 5 minutes I get a weird feeling I shouldn't be there. I grab my dog's leash and decide to run up the side of the canyon which opened up into my neighbor's backyards. I am almost all the way up, sprinting through ice plants when I stop to take a breath and look down. I see two rough as shit looking homeless men walking on the trail I was just on. Now. I don't want to assume anything here but as a 13-year-old girl still wearing her school uniform, I was flipping terrified. I don't know what told me to leave but I'm glad I did. Definitely one of the creepiest things I've experienced. The following story may sound somewhat far-fetched given the accused shapeshifter's reputation. But I believe my friend 100%. Basically, a well-known Lakota chief was a shapeshifter and practitioner of black magic. My friend in Rosebud, South Dakota, told me that she has seen his legs begin to turn to dog legs during the ceremony, where she was a food vendor. She would beat a hasty retreat when she would see this. She is from Oregon and is part of the Klamath tribe. Oddly, out in Oregon she was adopted by Lakota people and then married a Lakota man. The following story is somewhat sordid and tragic. My friend reported to me that the Lakota chief was getting up in years and had a much younger wife. This wife was so shameless that she would yell out of her tent at powwows and other gatherings asking who would come and service her because her old man cannot do so. I'm ready to barf just typing that, I'm sorry. Unfortunately, and stupidly, my friend's son, SB, became involved with Lakota chief's wife. This got SB a mark on his head. SB was beaten and left for dead by the Lakota chief's henchman. A good Samaritan stopped and got him help and he was revived. Later, SB was called because he heard that a res girl was being attacked. That time, SB was killed by the Lakota chief's men who had set him up. They kept moving the body, so it took five years to find it. Nobody in the tribe would talk and there has never been justice for SB. The Lakota chief and his family were a bunch of meth head, black magicians. The chief himself was a shapeshifter and murderer. If you compare the obituary in the Lakota times to that of the rest of the world, you will see exactly what the actual Lakota people thought of him versus the glamorous image and legacy he left behind. This is a case of bad people sometimes doing the right thing. I thought that I would mention this to you as it is an example of shapeshifting, 
possibly Skinwalker, as far north as South Dakota. As to a bundle and pipe given to the Lakota, it was later sold it to two German women several years ago after the holder became drunk. The woman who bought it died soon after. As in the churches, there is a serious illness in the medicine lodge. My Hopi friend recently told me that they have a prophecy that states, our children will kill us. In the next breath, he said that everyone in his village is walking around like zombies with their cell phones. It would appear that the prophecy is being fulfilled right now. This was a heavy note to receive. I have kept this inside of me for over 55 years, and I think it's time that I disclose the event, which took place in 1965. My brother, who I will refer to as Sam, and I witnessed aliens abducting two young girls, who lived in the trailer next door. We never told a soul about this encounter, and now that he has passed, I am the only person left to recount the events of that fateful night, which changed our lives forever. We were living near Bossier City, Louisiana, as our father was deep underground in the Air Force missile silos, and he worked for days at a time, in these bunkers. He had just come home on a three-day leave, and we were so happy to be able to spend time with him. Sam and I played rough with our dad all day and we were bushed, come bedtime. I slept in the upper bunk, and my brother in the lower. Suddenly, around 3 or 4 am we were both awakened by a low thundering sound and the most brilliantly colored light display, just outside our window, at the foot of our bunk bed. I moved to the window and looked down to see Sam looking out as well. We both watched the flying saucer land in the field, close to our neighbor's trailer. Our family was very close to these neighbors, and the two young girls living there were friends to my brother and me. I can't recall their names. But they were approximately 7 and 10 years old. We debated about waking our parents. But we were so frightened and thought if we woke them, they start turning on outside lights or walk outside with weapons. There would be bloodshed and sheer panic in the trailer park. So, we sat very quietly and simply observed. This flying saucer was about 50 feet in diameter and had multicolored lights around the perimeter. Everything beneath the craft was distorted and wavy, as it was gently settling down in the dirt field. There were four metal legs that slid down from the craft, with round pads on each. All of the lights on the craft went out, within about 30 seconds, after it landed. But, a light blue glow started to envelop the craft, and it made the area around it glow as well. Then, a ramp slid down from the craft, and a door opened up, and we could partially see inside the ship. There were dull red and orange lights on the walls, and an electrical crackling sound, emanating from the interior. Then the interior lights went out, and the weird sound stopped. Suddenly, a figure started to walk down the ramp and was followed by another. Now, Sam and I were never allowed to watch any science fiction shows or movies, with aliens or spaceships. I had never even seen a drawing or picture of a saucer before this. We were allowed to watch cartoons like Scooby-Doo, and Bugs Bunny. Along with shows like The Wonderful World of Disney and Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. So, this was truly an adventurous night for us, and definitely something very new. The first two beings walking down the ramp made their way into the light of our neighbor's yard. There was a light on the back of their trailer and their porch. When they got closer to the brighter light on their porch, we could see they were dressed in the same color suits. But the weird thing was, that their skin appeared to be the same color as well. They looked human in shape and size but moved in a way that made them function more like robots. Every movement was very smooth and effortless as though they were moving about in the water. They now remind me of the Blue Man Group, from Vegas. Because they were completely blue all over. Then, another two beings exited the craft, and they were green. Another two, that were red. Until there were six of them in all. They walked in line, up to the door of the trailer. They all passed right through the door, without opening it. That scared the heck out of us more so than the landing of the craft. We were asking each other, did you see that? What are they going to do with our friends? Minutes later, 
they passed through the door again, and they were leading the two girls, all the way back to their ship. The girls appeared as though they were sleepwalking, and even had their eyes closed. They walked just fine, without any help from these strange beings. Now, if you are wondering, yes, the girls passed right through the door, without it being opened too. About five minutes later, they exited the ship and lead the girls back into the trailer. But when the beings passed through the door for the last time, as they were coming out, they all crouched down slightly, turned, and looked directly at our window. Each one did this in succession, and they smiled. And waved at us. Now at this point, my brother and I were in complete shock. We were also completely mesmerized. I looked at Sam and he looked at me. But we were unable to say a word. They entered the ship, and as the last one went inside, the interior lights returned. The strange noise started up again, and the door closed. The ramp slid back up inside the craft, and as it slowly lifted off the ground, the four legs retracted up as well. The amazingly colorful lights came back on, around the perimeter of the ship, and it slowly lifted skyward. Until it was about 25 feet in the air. Then, it shot straight up and out of sight in less than a second. The last being standing at the door of the ship, waved at Sam and me, before it closed. I thought I should point that out as well. Because that is the lasting image that burned into my memory ever since that strange night. My brother and I talked about that night, possibly thousands of times before he passed away in 2009. But, we never discussed it with anyone else. Ever. We tried so hard to see if there was anything different about our neighbor's daughters after that night. But, we didn't notice anything unusual. That event troubles me to this day. More so than any other event. I have often wondered, if Sam and I were the actual abductees, and the memory of the girl's abduction was planted. But, in any case, two or possibly even four people were contacted slash abducted that night. Of that I am sure. I now need to find answers to this event somehow. Even if it means going to a qualified hypnotist, experienced in the abduction phenomena. I have to know exactly what happened in 1965. I wonder if those two young girls are now going through abduction therapy, as adults. So many unanswered questions, and I think about that night every single day of my life. I need to get this monkey off of my back, somehow. And this helps to finally tell the world about that strange night. My master's degree work was looking at stoneflies in coastal Alabama and it required a lot sampling out in the streams, the habitat for juvenile stoneflies, around Mobile Bay. When I went sampling, I'd have to get into the stream and collect five packets of leaves that collected in the stream at random intervals in a 100-meter stretch of the stream. I sampled from June 2012 through July 2013 for two different projects, one that used the same four streams for an entire year and another project that used about 20 different streams in the fall and spring season. When I went sampling, I parked an old Ford Econoline van with a big university sticker won it by the side of the road near a bridge then climb down and hop in the stream and go to work. With these streams being out in the woods and some of them being damn remote, creepy stuff happened every so often for metal scrappers asking for any good finds, a decrepit old baby doll in the woods, walking up on a dog grave site under a bridge, a truck stopping on the bridge of a 30 meter wide river, terrible place to sample for my work by the way, and watching me and my sampling partner from a distance, and so many other things I could keep going on, but this is the time I truly felt I was going to die. At the beginning of my field work, in the summer, it was easy to coordinate with lab mates to get a sampling partner to make the work easier, and safer, but late in the fall 2012 semester, my main sampling partner had finished her thesis and didn't come to campus much, can't blame her, so I started sampling by myself in later November slash early December. It added some extra time onto my day, but it made scheduling easier and more consistent and nothing dangerous had happened going solo so I was good with the change. It was the early spring of 2013 and I was traveling to the second stream of the day, 
hitting a stream I'd seen twice a month for the last seven or eight months. I knew it like the back of my hand and thought I'd seen everything it had to offer. I rolled up about 10 a.m., munching on an apple I had started when I left the previous stream and tossed the apple core into the clearing that I had parked the van in. This stream had a nice clearing off the side of the road, but was a 30 meter or so walk to the stream with a slight decline over eroded dirt and gravel so I couldn't see the other side of the stream. I blissfully rolled up my trusty, punctured chest waders and walked to the trunk, packed up my gear, grabbed my super sampler, a fine mesh net that attaches to a folding base, and metal meter stick. I casually strolled down to the stream ready to take my usual piss under the bridge as I do at every stream when across the stream I see a dog, I think it is a border collie slash German shepherd mix, but I am not that great with dog breeds. I stop in my track staring at it waiting to see if its owner will show up from the woods, but mostly debating if I could still piss, but the dog takes the first move. It makes a loud solitary bark and then runs off into the woods downstream. It promptly returns, but it isn't alone. There is another identical dog with it. They don't make any noise, they just stand attentively on the other side of stream staring at me. I can't make out any collars around their neck, but they had a lot of fur there is about 20 meters separating us since neither of us are that close to the stream bank. The stream bank is relatively high from the water, about 2 to 3 meters where the standoff happened and I was on the side with the small steep entrance so I figured I could get my work done and the dogs would leave me alone. As I'm climbing down they are mirroring my distance into the stream, but not getting closer to the edge of the stream. I check over my shoulder to still seem them watching me from the clearing and still think I'm fine so I start walking upstream. The dogs keep following me, but now they enter the forest. These dogs were not frolicking around the woods, they hunched down, hid behind trees and foliage to conceal themselves, and were dead silent. I couldn't hear them move over the sound of the stream. This is when I am proper spooked. As I kept going and they kept following me, I started to move closer to the opposite bank as often as could and was walking slower than usual in the shifting sands and rushing water making sure that I didn't lose my footing. Every five meters or so, I would stop to locate them but there were several times that I lost where they were. I didn't need to see them to feel their eyes out in the woods. Over time, they stopped staying parallel with me and began to stay slightly behind me. After what felt like an eternity, I made it to my fifth sampling spot 95 meters into the stream, just my luck that day, the longest sampling for the day had wild dogs. I felt a wave of relief since I could now turn around and make my way back to the van but I had to stay in the stream since the stream banks were still too steep to climb out. The dogs had a different plan. All the way through the stream, they stayed together, but now they spilt up. One stayed about 3 to 5 meters ahead of me while the other one was behind me about 3 to 5 meters. They hadn't made an advance and were still hiding in the woods, but having one in front and one behind filled me with dread. Walking in, it was easy to keep my back from being exposed and face them, even if I couldn't see them, but now things changed. I turned so I was parallel with the stream banks the dogs were on and began to make my way downstream. The dogs maintain this pattern for about 70 meters before things become decidedly more dangerous. About 20 meters from the clearing there is a gradual slope that leads to the water on the dog's side of the stream. The dog ahead of me stretches its lead while the one behind me comes down the slope and enter the stream with me. I raise my meter stick towards the dog in the water and my super sampler net to the dog on the stream bank in front of me and begin to yell. Basically, I look like the science nerd version of the gladiator with the net and trident. I can see the clearing, but my eyes just keep darting from dog to dog and I am slowing backing towards the clearing. The water near the stream dog deepens and luckily for me it doesn't want to swim for its meal. It runs up the slope and joins its comrades still ahead of me. From here until the gravelly steep slope on my side of the stream, the dogs stay ahead of me hiding in the brush, but never making a move. I scrambled up the slope and starting making my way to the van. The dogs come out of the woods and advance to the edge of the stream bank. 
I just kept facing them while backing my up to the van. Once I got back to the van, I hurriedly packed everything back up and left before I could eat my lunch at the stream site. I had to return to that stream about 8 more times, but I never saw those dogs again. It was the longest 2 hours of my life. I was driving west on US Highway 2 between the city of Ball Club and Benham, Minnesota. This occurred on March 3, 2019 at around 7.15 pm. I was approaching a black vehicle and as I got closer it increased its speed keeping pace with me. I was within 100 yards of the vehicle. It went into the oncoming lane of traffic and accelerated causing the rear of the vehicle to drop slightly. At that instant, a very large cloud of white smoke filled the highway. I slowed my vehicle and turned toward the shoulder on the north side of the highway. As I went through the cloud I expected to see the vehicle stopped or black marks on the road. Once I was in the cloud I could see out, but it was still thick. I watched the ditch on the south side of the highway as well but saw no evidence of the vehicle leaving the roadway. I expected to smell burnt rubber from the tire skidding or spinning on the highway, but there was no smell. As I came out of the cloud I could see for a couple of miles as the highway was straight. There were vehicles approaching from some distance to the front but no one going in my direction. I looked in my rearview mirror and there was another vehicle coming around the cloud on the north side also. I wanted to stop that vehicle to see what they saw and thought of the encounter but I didn't feel comfortable with that knowing how to get them to stop. All I can tell you about the vehicle is that it was a mid-sized black sedan. Nothing special at all about it. I couldn't wrap my head around what I had just seen and for nearly an hour the hair on my arm stood straight on end. It was a very strange experience. I didn't see it in the air or anything so maybe not connected to a UFO. The only other explanation I can conclude would be spiritual or a ghost if you will. No matter what I am still very freaked out and bothered by what I witnessed.